Thank you, Brian, for your prayers for New Life Church and for us personally. Uh, we are thankful for the privilege we have to be able to lift each other to the throne of grace. Well, welcome this morning if you are joining us for the first time and welcome to the members of New Life Church. Uh, we're missing you again and um, we're hoping that sooner than later we'll be able to get together in some format and be able to fellowship with each other. But this morning we continue in our sermon series in the Gospel of Luke, the mission of Jesus. And we've been going through this sermon series for the last few months. But today we will examine the first recorded miracle of Jesus raising somebody from the dead. Um, in the Gospels there are three recorded miracles where Jesus raised a dead person back to life. Uh, we see Jairus' daughter in Matthew, Mark and Luke. And then Lazarus is only recorded in John. And then right here in the Gospel of Luke we see the raising of the widow's only son. So all of the miracles of Jesus go beyond the literal and they teach us something spiritual, these lessons that we, we need to learn. And John referred to them as signs, which mean that they significantly attest to the, to the divine power and the divine nature of Jesus as the Son of God. So this morning we'll be looking at Luke chapter 7, verse 11 to verse 17, if you will follow with me, please, in your Bibles. Luke 7. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen amongst us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea, and all the surrounding country. I wonder if you have heard the story of a man who was lost in an underground mining shaft. Um, then after some time he finally saw some light at the, the end of the tunnel, but then realized that that light was from a train that was coming down the tracks. Maybe you, like me, feel like this at times, especially with this coronavirus around us and we all have a, the sense of fear and sometimes anxiety that we battle with um, and sometimes just despair and we all know someone who is feeling depressed we all know someone who is feeling defeated um, because of this pandemic and we all know someone or some families who are struggling financially or physically as well as emotionally at this time I have a friend back in South Africa who has COVID-19 and pneumonia. Um, his lungs have collapsed and he has been put on a ventilator for the last three weeks battling to, to stay alive. He's, he's, he's in his 30s. Um, he has no pre-existing illnesses. He has a, a young wife and two beautiful little girls under the age of, of 10. 
Um, please keep him and his family in your prayers. But there is this, this sense of despondency, the sense of despair around us that is almost tangible that we can feel. Um, back in the 19th century, one British preacher by the name of Joseph Parker, he said, Preach to the suffering and you will never lack a congregation. There is a broken heart in every pew. And I believe the word of God this morning in our passage speaks to our broken hearts. I think that this is a very hopeful passage that I hope would encourage you in your walk with the Lord and to help you fix your eyes upon our gracious, loving and compassionate Savior. We live in a time where there is a lot of hurt, where there is a lot of suffering and there is a, a lot of despair and that's because people are clinging on to false hope or a hope that's not even there. Um, there is a desperate need for a message of, of true hope to overcome this despair and a message of real power to overcome our weaknesses. And we need hope, not dead hope or a, or a false gospel or even a temporary hope. What we need today is a real living hope. And the gospel of Jesus offers that hope, true and real and genuine and a real power to this, to this hurting world. We see in our passage this morning that this woman who had lost her husband was now in total despair over the loss of her, of her only son. And of course she was powerless in the face of death. But Christ's living word brought hope and power into this, this scene of despair, something that we can relate to and something that we can learn from this morning. And my first point this morning, we see in verse 11 and verse 13, is the compassion of Jesus. We see here in verse 11, Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. We see here Jesus and his disciples and the crowd, they're traveling towards the city of Nain. And they come across an all too familiar procession. It is a funeral procession. Um, in those days, the way a funeral procession worked was the, the bereaved person walked in front of the, the, the funeral uh, beer. And the beer was actually not much more than just a, a plank of wood, a white plank of wood where the, where the body would um, be upon. Uh, there was no closed coffins like we have in, in our society. And the body of this, this dead person was, was laid out on this plank, wrapped and embalmed in, in some cloth. And, and almost everybody in that town, in the town, in this procession is, is, is crying, is mourning. Um, and we see why, we learn why from the passage this morning. It's because this widow has lost a child. But it's not just, just a child, it's her only son, the only son that she has. And the death of a loved one is, is always difficult. But the death of, of one's child is probably one of life's greatest difficulties to face. And the death of a child for anyone is the most unnatural and hardest thing to, to bear. But yet we have this very difficult situation recorded for us here in the Scriptures. And besides this widow's anguish and, and her grief, the death of her only child would mean that unless she had a close relative, 
um, who could take care of her, she would be reduced to begging on the streets. I remember once in, in India when my family and I went to have lunch in a, in a food court a, at a mall, an old lady approached us um, who was begging for money. Now this was not unusual in India, but this particular lady spoke in perfect English, which was very unusual. And we told her to sit down next to us, and we went and bought her some food, and she sat and had some lunch with us. And she began to tell us her story. Uh, she told us that uh, she used to be a headmistress of, a, of an English high school. And she retired, and she lived with her, her son and his family after the death of her husband. And to make a long story short, her son took all of her money and kicked her out of the house. So she had to resort to, to begging while living on the street. She had nothing. And this lady knew about despair. And reminds me of this lady that we see here in our passage in chapter 7. Very, very similar to this lady in our story who, who has nothing, who has no hope. Right in front of this funeral bier is this widow and her son's wrapped body is on top of that open plank of wood. It was a hopeless scene, a hopeless situation, and we see that she's weeping. And Jesus walks up to her, and notice what Jesus says to her in verse 13. He simply says, Do not weep. Do not weep. Of course, Jesus understood that this woman was in terrible despair. He knew of her turmoil inside. Um, she was now alone in the world with no companionship, and perhaps more importantly in that culture, no visible means of financial support. But the great compassion of our Lord here, and the great love of our Lord draws him to this woman in great sympathy. And notice, he takes the initiative to, to reach out to this widow in her, her loss and her pain. He doesn't just ignore this funeral procession. He doesn't just stand back and, and stay out of the way. He takes the initiative and he says to her, Do not weep. Jesus was not telling her just to suppress her emotions. Um, sometimes uh, we're guilty of doing that thoughtlessly. Um, he was instead expressing genuine care for this woman. Notice Jesus' words here, Do not weep. Now, those words would have been insensitive if Jesus was not able to do something about the problem. But we know that he could, and we know that he, he would. We see he is lovingly calling upon this woman for, for a little glimmer of trust in him, a little spark of, of faith in him. And he's tenderly saying to this woman, Look to me. I can do something about the reason for your grief. I think Luke has included this encounter in his gospel because he wants us to understand that Jesus still cares for us today. And regardless of the pain, regardless of the suffering and the sorrow, and even the loss that we may experience, Luke wants us to know that Jesus cares. That Jesus cares. And the same Jesus who had compassion on the widow of Nain is now reaching out to us in our pain, in our sorrow, and in our loss. 
the prophet Isaiah, he tells us in, in his um, book, in, verse, in chapter 53, verse 4, he says, Surely he has borne our griefs and he has carried our, our sorrows. And the compassion Jesus had on the widow of Nain is, is still very much available to us this morning. He has borne our grief. He has carried our sorrows. He can relate to us. He's not just sitting in a distant kingdom somewhere, not knowing about his children. He knows us very personally. And this kind of compassion brings hope. This kind of compassion brings a real living hope. Now in our despair, sometimes we are, we are prone to feel like nobody understands. And maybe in your isolation, you can, you can attest to that. Sitting alone, away from friends, away from the church, away from your work colleagues, and you're feeling very isolated. And you tend to think that nobody understands your condition or your, or your problems. And our loneliness, rather, rather than helping our situation, intensifies the, the desperation that we sometimes feel. But hear what the Scriptures are saying to us this morning. To know that someone else feels with us and knows our situation must bring us a ray of hope. We are not alone. The Scriptures are telling us that Jesus understands and Jesus cares. We see in our second point this morning from verse 14 to verse 15, the power of Jesus, the power of Jesus. In verse 14, notice here, and look here what Jesus does. He does the unthinkable. He does the unthinkable. We see the power of Jesus. Verse 14 says, Then he came up and touched the bier, and the bearers stood still. Jesus does the unthinkable. He touches this dead body. And any Jew knew that touching a corpse or, or touching something that a corpse had had touched would make them unclean, would make them impure, and they couldn't be part of society. They weren't able to go to the, the temple and, and to worship. And there was, there, there was a, not just a one-day period they had to um, cleanse themselves. There were seven days that they had to observe and this elaborate purification ceremony in order to rejoin society and be part of the, the, the corporate worship again. But here is Jesus reaching out his, his hand to touch the funeral beer. And notice, he does not become unclean. Instead, he says, Stop right here, young man. I say to you, get up. I say to you, get up. I suppose that everyone stopped and looked at that point. And what is Jesus doing here? People must have thought, Is he crazy? Is he mad? People must have wondered. There was a large crowd. Remember that. A large crowd had come with him from Capernaum. And now this, this large funeral procession had come from the city of Nain. And there was a large crowd watching here this amazing event. But of course Jesus knew what he was doing. He knew perfectly what he was doing. Here was Jesus, the author of life, encountering this procession of, of death. And here was the creator of the entire universe confronting the destroyer of human life. 
And here was Jesus, whose heart was filled with compassion, stopping this procession that was in the process of putting somebody into the grave. This terminal expression of human sin. The ultimate consequence of sin. Death. And so Jesus, at whose command the entire universe was previously spoken into existence, He simply says, Young man, I say to you, Arise! I say to you, Arise! I just try and imagine at this point what that must have been like. Try and imagine being in that crowd and wondering, What is going on? Wondering about who this person is that that has this authority to speak these words. But notice that they don't have to wonder for long. The scriptures tell us that this dead man, he sat up and he began to speak. And Jesus gives him to his mother. Notice there in verse 15. Jesus gives him to his mother. Because Jesus is God, his, his touch brought life out of death. And notice there, this cleanness out of uncleanliness. We cannot say we know God, but know nothing about His authority and about His power. You know, Jesus Christ has demonstrated His authority here. Jesus Christ has demonstrated His power enough times throughout the whole Bible for us to trust Him, not just as our Savior, but as our Lord, as our King. And who else but God has the the power and the authority to bring the dead back to life. And yet even this did not convince the people of His Lordship. Not everybody that was in that crowd that day was convinced. They still had no idea who Jesus was. You know, They believed instead that He was a great prophet who had revisited them like, like Elijah had done so many years ago. They still did not believe that he was the Son of God. But God was there that day with them. But still they had no idea who he was. You know, it is God who heals. It is only God who can bring someone from the dead back to life. Only God who can give life. And Jesus has that, that, that power. He alone has that authority within himself to give life to the dead. His love and His compassion and His power is capable of changing any situation, capable of changing any circumstance, and He's capable of changing even the circumstance that we find ourselves in at this present time. Christ performed His miracle that day for, 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 all, for all of us to learn from and to see who He is. But I also want you to notice that each time Jesus raised somebody from the dead, He did it in the same way. He did it in the same way. All the records that we have in the Gospels, Jesus spoke words into that person. And that person was raised from the dead by speaking to the dead person and calling him back to life. It was just His words, His, his plain, bare words that quickened the dead. It wasn't anything else. There wasn't any gimmick. There wasn't any ointment or, or some method that he used. He simply spoke words. 
And there is great power in God's Word. And that's a, a, an important lesson for us to learn this morning. There is great power in God's Word. He spoke the universe into existence through His Word. We know that. We saw a few weeks ago the centurion speaking to Jesus. All he said was, Just say the Word and my, and my servant will be healed. And we have in the Scriptures that same powerful Word, living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Hebrews chapter 4 tells us that, verse 12. The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The power of God's Word gives us great hope because it's able to bring change to a hopeless situation. Just as Christ spoke personally to this dead young man so he speaks to the hearts of dead sinners today just as this young man who could not arise because he was was dead he instantly responded to christ's word and that's how it works today with all of those who are who are dead in their sins those who are dead in their sins can respond instantly to the word of god that needs to be spoken into their lives. You know, we are the witnesses of Christ. That's what we are called. And what do we are witness to? We are witness to the life-giving salvation that He gives to those who call upon His name. If you're a Christian this morning, you're a witness to that. And we are called to be His witnesses in this, in this dark world. We need to direct people to the living hope here found in the living word if you want to see your your children converted read them the the word of god speak to them the scriptures help them even memorize the scriptures encourage them to read it on their own as you talk to people about their need of christ use scripture Quote scripture to them and, and challenge them to read the, the scriptures for themselves. There is power in the word, God, folks. There is power in the word of God. You know, sometimes we share our testimonies and that's, that's, that's a good thing. But our testimonies don't have the power to save people. The word of God does. It is living. It is abiding. It is active. And it is sharper than any two-edged sword. There's a story I read this week about Gaylord Kambarami. He was the, the general secretary of the, the Bible Society of Zimbabwe. And once he, was offered, uh, once he offered a, a man a New Testament, and this man responded, If you give me that Bible, I will roll the pages and I will use them to, to make cigarettes. And Gaylord, he replied, At least promise me, that you will read the page before you smoke it. And the man agreed. And so he gave him the New Testament and he went his way. Well, 15 years later, Gaylord was attending a convention when the speaker on the platform suddenly noticed him, pointed him out and, and said to the audience, 
this man here doesn't remember me, but 15 years ago he tried to, to sell me a New Testament. And when I refused to buy it, he, he instead gave it to me. And even though I told him I would use the pages to uh, roll cigarettes, he made me promise to, to read the pages before I smoked them. And then he said, well, I smoked Matthew and I smoked Mark and I smoked Luke. But when I got to John chapter 3, verse 16, I couldn't smoke anymore. My life was changed from that moment. And he had become later on a, a full-time evangelist, pointing others to the powerful message of, of God's Word. And no matter what situation you find yourself in, remember the power of God's Word. The power of God's Word gives us great hope because it is able to bring change to seemingly hopeless situations. That leads to my last point this morning. Point number three we see in verse 16 and verse 17. Look there if you would with me. Fear seized them all. And they glorified God saying, A great prophet has arisen amongst us and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. What we see in verse 16, the first response of the people is that of worship. And Luke said that fear seized them all and they, and they glorified God. But notice here in the passage, they thought Jesus was a prophet. Uh, and there's context here because over 500 years earlier, the, the prophet Elijah had gone to a small town named Zarephath just that Jesus had gone to the small town called Nain, and there he met a widow in the gate of the town, just as Jesus is meeting this widow here at the gate of Nain. And the widow had an only son who had become ill, just as this widow here in Luke chapter 7. And Elijah, he took the, the boy from the widow and prayed to God for the return of life. And notice, it wasn't Elijah who brought this person back to life. It was God who brought this person back to life. And the Lord heard Elijah's prayer. And that boy did indeed come back to life. We see that in, in 1 Kings chapter 17, that story. So it's understandable that the people thought that, that Jesus was a great prophet. Surely like Elijah, they said, who had risen, who had come back from the dead amongst them. And so they worshipped God for doing something new and something great and something powerful. That was undeniable. And it was a wonderful and appropriate and a faithful response, of course. But they still had no idea who it was that they were talking to. It wasn't just that God had visited them with a great prophet. God had visited them Himself in His Son, Jesus Christ. God was there amongst them. But they had no idea who they were talking to. And sometimes we feel we, we know Him, but we do not recognize Him for who He is. We don't recognize Him and we fail to see His, his glory or even acknowledge his, his presence amongst us. And when we do, our lives will immediately change and we will obey Him and, and stop asking, has God really said this? Does God really know? You know, to say that Jesus is God and to disobey Him 
is to say we do not believe that he's really God. We do not really believe that he is all-consuming. We do not really believe that he is he's sovereign and in control of this universe. That he really doesn't have the power to, to help me in my situation. Or he doesn't really have the power to save my, my, my wife or my, or my husband or my children or my father or my mother or my friends or my work colleagues. Or we say he doesn't really have the compassion that, that we need to deliver us from this situation that we find ourselves in. We cannot say we know God, but know nothing of this love the Scripture talks about. We cannot say we know God and know nothing of this compassion that the Scripture talks about, of the power that the Scripture talks about. You do not know God properly then, folks. This is Jesus here. This is Jesus we're talking about. John, in his Gospel, in John chapter 1, he gives us a wonderful description of this Jesus that we are talking about. In John chapter 1, verse 1 to 5, it tells us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. This is Jesus here. All things were made through Him. Through who? Through Jesus. And without Him, without Jesus, nothing was made that was made. Notice, Jesus is there at creation. In Him, in Jesus was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. Do we believe this, folks? Do we believe these scriptures? Do we respond with the, the same attitude of worship that Jesus deserves? The very person who spoke and the Son came out of His mouth. Once we recognize who He is and what He's done for us, it should cause us to rejoice. It should cause us to worship. It will cause you to adore Him if you understand who God really is, if you know His character, if you study His Word and learn about Him, He will give you this peace that you need. And you will give Him the praise that He is worthy of because of the power that He is able to perform in your life once you submit to His authority. And how can a man that was dead and who is now alive not praise the one who has given him life. How could we, who were once dead in our trespasses and sins, not praise the one who gives us eternal life? But there's a second response here. There's a second response we see in verse 17. And Luke said that this report about Jesus spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. So news about Jesus continued to spread. We see that in the scriptures. And the widow and her son and all who were at this funeral procession were so filled with, with joy that they went and they told others. They went and told others. They didn't care what others were thinking about them. 
they didn't force people to believe. They just shared this remarkable, unimaginable work, this unimaginable miracle that they had experienced through Jesus Christ. They recognized the presence of God's power and mercy and they rejoiced and they could not stop but tell others to tell others. And that is exactly what we are called to do, folks. That's what we are to be witnesses of, folks. We are called to share the joy of Christ in our lives with others. That's it. We're not called to make others believe. We're not responsible for their salvation. God is responsible for their salvation. We are the farmers who sow the seeds. God is the one who gives life to the seeds. But we must sow. We must tell others. We are obligated as witnesses to the glory of Christ in our lives to spread the good news far and wide. We are commanded by Christ to be witnesses in this world. This is not a suggestion. This is something that we are commanded to do. This is our duty. And we do our duty out of delight because our hearts are filled with joy and we cannot stop telling people about our wonderful Savior who has brought us this living hope. And we share with people this joy of Christ that is in our lives. And we witness and we speak the truth of salvation with our, with our words. And we show people Christ by our actions, as the Scriptures tell us. By our good works, they may see Christ and glorify God in heaven. And we tell people, we witness and we proclaim the joy of Christ at work in our lives. We share the good news with our friends at work, with our friends at school, with our neighbors, even while we're standing in the bank waiting to be served or in the shop. Wherever we are, we can be a witness of Christ. And I say it over and over again. God hasn't brought us to the UAE just so that we can make money, folks. And I think we're starting to learn that now with this, with this pandemic. Money isn't what makes the world go round. Money isn't the hope that this world needs. Money and possessions doesn't bring peace and joy. And we know what does. It is Christ. He is our living hope. He is the compassionate God. He is the loving God. And we need to tell others about them, about Christ. Let them know that He is the one where they can find joy and peace. I think this miracle is a parable. It's a parable of the task that we face as witnesses of the gospel. You know, evangelism is it's not the job of a, of a salesman who persuades people to believe in Christ. That's not our job. You know, evangelism is nothing less than the raising of those who are dead in their trespasses and sins. We're telling them about the, this living hope. And when we share the gospel with them, God must use it to raise that sinner from death to life. Just as Jesus raised this man from physical death to physical life. And the result is no less powerful. Jesus didn't just happen to walk into town at that moment. This funeral procession was 
was heading out. This was one of those divine appointments. Jesus was always ready, and so he raised this young man to life. And I think often, providentially, God gives us these opportunities, these divine appointments, these encounters with those who are, who are dead in their, in their sins. But sometimes we miss those opportunities. And I confess, you know, I sometimes am spiritually dull and, and I often miss those opportunities that the Lord has given to us. And later I think, oh, I could have said this and I could have said that. I wish I had said this and that. If we want to help people who are depressed, if we want to help people who are hopeless, if we want to help people who are, who are in despair, we need to look for these opportunities. We need to take these opportunities. We need to be intentional and let the Lord use us as His vessels of honor. Scripture tells us we need to be about our Father's business. We need to be about our Father's business just as Jesus was. The gospel is the life-giving word of Christ. It is a message of hope in a, in a world of despair. It's a message of power in a, in a world of weakness. And even through this sermon, the Lord may be saying to you this morning, arise from your spiritual slumber. Or maybe he's saying, arise from your spiritual death and sin and follow me. At the age of 12, Robert Louis Stevenson, who was the author of Treasure Island, he was looking out into the, the dark from his, from his upstairs window and he was watching a man light the, the street lanterns. This was before they, they had electricity. And Stevens' governess came into the room and asked him, What are you doing, Robert? And he replied, I am watching a man cut a hole in the darkness. That's a wonderful saying, isn't it? And that describes our job as witnesses. We are to cut holes in the darkness of this hopeless, hurting world with the good news that Jesus came to raise dead sinners to new life through His Word. We need to be taking advantage of all these opportunities God gives us with the spiritually dead to cut holes in the darkness of this hopeless, hurting world and trust God for the results. Let me bring this to a conclusion this morning. Let me wrap this up this morning. You know, we should glorify God for the compassion of Jesus and especially for his power over death. These are some of the lessons that we need to be learning from this passage. You know, unfortunately, modern man, we boast in our power and we boast in our independence and we, we boast in our advancement in technology. But at the end of the day, we are impotent against this great leveler called death. Bertrand Russell who was a British philosopher, he called, he, he called it omnipotent death. Omnipotent death. Um, that, that is exactly what it is. 
You know, if you if you remove God from the picture, as Russell did, nobody can stand against death. Death is omnipotent if God is not in the picture. Now, all the money that this world has, all the technology, all the medical science cannot stop death. Cannot stop death. Nobody is exempt. Somebody once said, two things in this life are certain. Taxes and death. Two things that we cannot avoid. Taxes and death. Maybe us here in the UAE will argue about taxes, but we cannot argue about death, can we? We cannot avoid death. But notice what the passage is telling us this morning. Jesus is Lord over death. He is Lord over death. When he spoke his life-giving word, the corpse came alive. The corpse sat up when, when Jesus spoke. And the corpse began to speak. We see the compassion of Jesus. We see the power over death. And I hope this gives you hope this morning. You know, this doesn't necessarily take away all our tears. Death doesn't necessarily take away all our tears. At least not yet. But it does give us a hope for the future. This wonderful truth needs to set our minds on eternity. This world is not our home. This is a, a place of journey. Our home awaits for us in heaven. And we cannot be separated from the love of God. We have eternal life if our faith is in Jesus Christ. And death no longer is our enemy. Death has lost its sting. You see, we're not just serving some powerless, generic idol who has no ears, who has no eyes to see, cannot touch us. We are serving an all-powerful, omnipotent God. It's not omnipotent death. It's the omnipotent God that we are serving. We're serving the one who holds the, the keys to death, the keys to, to hell and to the grave. The Apostle John, he recorded Jesus as saying in, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Because death could not keep Jesus in the grave. We have this confidence that the Apostle Paul had, and he expressed it in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at the words there on your screen in verse 54. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know what burdens you are facing today, but if Christ can conquer death, then there is no problem that you and I will, will ever face that he cannot handle for us. He has conquered it all. He has the victory. 
He has the power. Jesus can raise the dead. He can touch the dead and he doesn't become unclean. They become alive instead. And this miracle shows us that Jesus has power over death. A few years later, Jesus was crucified. He died and he was buried. But three days later, he was raised back to life. And now that he himself has risen from the dead, he has the power to grant not just physical life, but spiritual life, eternal life, to anyone who comes to him in faith and repentance. His resurrection is the promise and proof of our own resurrection. This is the hope of every Christian. This is the hope that you and I have, isn't it? Through the death of Jesus, we have forgiveness of sins, and, and through the resurrection of Jesus, we have the hope of eternal life. And what Jesus did that day in Nain, he, he did in my life one day as well. I was dead in my sins, and I was in a desperate condition. I was in a hopeless condition. But my life changed when God breathed His word of life into my life. He came in grace and He conquered death. And that is why we celebrate Him today. That is why I celebrate Him today. Jesus is my living hope. And as we close this morning, I want to ask you, is Jesus your living hope? What a Savior that we serve. What love and what grace have you experienced this wondrous Savior today? Please pray with me. Dear Father, we praise your name this morning. Lord, you are indeed the glorious God who deserves all of our worship, all of our adoration, all of our affection, and all of our service. Lord, we confess, Lord, you are the omnipotent God. You are the sovereign king of this universe. You are the one who has revealed yourself to us in the word. So we don't have to walk in darkness. You have shone the light of life upon us so that we can come to you. We pray this morning that you would do that through your word. May your word be a light unto our path, a lamp to our feet this, this morning, to those who don't know you, to those who are still lost in their darkness those who are lost in despair, those who have no hope, those who are despondent and maybe even depressed. May you shine your light upon them this morning and breathe your living word into their lives and grant faith and repentance today. And Lord, for all those who are believers this morning, I pray that they would be encouraged. May your spirit encourage their hearts this morning with a fresh hope that is from your word, not based on philosophy, not based on man's opinion, but based on truth from your word this morning, that you have all power and everything is in your control. And even though we may not be able to see everything around us or understand everything around us, we can trust in you because you do, because you have the world in your hands. And we can rest in this truth 
that you are the one who has the power over life and death. And you have the power to change our situations and to teach us and to hold us and to keep us. And we are so grateful this morning for the truth that you have spoken to us. Continue to use it for your glory, Lord. May the Spirit apply to all of our situations this morning for the sake of your great name and for the joy of your people. We ask this prayer. Amen. Thank you for joining us this morning. And again, if we can be of any help to you, please reach out to us. Um, the, the email address will be displayed at the end. But please respond with us in our final song this morning, Our God.